On today's Locked on Jayhawks, we preview a top 10 matchup in Allen Fieldhouse between ninth-ranked Oklahoma and third-ranked Kansas. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Derek Johnson. You can typically hear me on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. And normally here on Locked on Jayhawks, anywhere you get your podcast, including on our YouTube page. Sorry, we haven't had a show the past couple days. I just had a new baby girl. And yes, I am very tired as we get ready for this episode. So again, it might be more sporadic, but thanks for joining us. We're previewing a top 10 matchup between number three, Kansas, and number nine, Oklahoma and Allen Fieldhouse. Chance for both teams to bounce back. We get to our storylines of the game. Johnny Furphy starting for Kansas, the OU scouting report, matchups of the game, and Hawks to soar on this episode of the show, which is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code LOCKED ON for $20 off your first purchase with the Game Time app. You can use it to get into the uh, Oklahoma game. Top storylines coming into this one for Kansas versus Oklahoma. It is an AP top 10 matchup. Now, how good just are both teams to this point in time? Uh, currently, Kansas ranked third in the AP poll, Oklahoma ranked ninth. Now, clearly, both of them lost earlier this week. So, you know, if they did an AP poll every day or like they did one at the beginning of the week and the middle of the week, Kansas would probably be, you know, still top 10. Uh, Oklahoma would probably be like top 15, somewhere in that range, right? But still, that would still be really good. But you look at some of the metric sites on both these teams, a little bit lower. Um, Oklahoma more in that like top 20-ish range. Kansas has really fallen off in some of those metric ratings. I think right now coming into this game, Oklahoma's 20th in Ken Palm. Kansas is 19th. And we've talked a lot about that over the course of the season with Kansas kind of falling there. Big reason why is they're not playing up to expectations. I think they're 5-10 and 10 against the spread on the season. I think they're 3-10 and 10 over the last 13 games, and they're like 1-6 over the last seven games against the spread, which is a lot of how Ken Palm formulates is that, you know, how are you doing versus expectation? There are some flaws to that, like, you see BYU, for instance, just beating teams they're supposed to be by 30, by 50, and that is worth more than Kansas maybe beating a, a top 10 opponent that they were supposed to win by one, by two, right? You're not going to get as much. So there is some flaw in that. But still, if you, over the aftermath, you don't perform over and over again according to expectation, maybe that lowers your expectation. Maybe we saw a bit of that in the UCF game earlier this week. So how good are both teams? Because they're trying to bounce back. Oklahoma lost to TCU earlier this week. Kansas obviously lost at UCF in what was a very disappointing game for KU, both in terms of the expectations coming into that game. Um, UCF's not a huge basketball program. though their team has been better this year than you would think. Like they are ranked higher than Indiana, for instance, on uh, Ken Palm, though Indiana has really struggled here. Maybe that's not a great example, but that was your other road opponent, whatever. And, uh, you know, both teams trying to just salvage the week. And, and for KU, the salvaging the week might be salvaging your place in the Big 12 title race because – I've talked so many times about it, you know, ding the bell or, or if you're playing a drinking game, here you go. That last 10 games on the Kansas schedule is brutal. I've talked about this before. Probably got to go seven and one in your first eight if you want to have your best chance of getting at least 13 wins, maybe 14 to win the league. Maybe 12 wins the league this year. Who knows? Because it is such a, a powerhouse league. But still, you're looking at six and two, kind of being the bare minimum for what you do in this first eight games. But realistically, seven and one would have been more important, which means you have to win your next six games or at least five of the next six. And that's easier said than done. You still that Iowa State. You have two road games next week, even though they're you know to the the lower part of the Big Twelve. You still don't take anything for granted. We just saw that this past Wednesday. Now speaking of uh, playing on the road, Oklahoma's last road win in this series in Allen Fieldhouse was in 1993. So it's been a while for them winning in Allen Fieldhouse, 31 years. But they have been darn close lately. You feel like 
they're they're getting closer to the edge that maybe one of these you know they're gonna fall off now then again it felt like that forever with bob huggins west virginia teams it was like ku just kept winning these close games coming back from behind at home and it's like eventually they're gonna get one but they they haven't yet i don't know so uh maybe that's the case in this one but you know oh you really close last year it was 79 to 75 and with two and a half minutes left, Oklahoma had an 86 win probability percentage, according to Ken Palm. And then Kansas finished super strong over the last two and a half minutes. You go back to the 2022 game in Allen Fieldhouse, which, you know, those were the, the last two additions that you've played against Oklahoma with this staff with Porter Mosier. And that was the uh, the Zach Clements game that you needed Zach Clements to give you those big minutes and hit that big three just to escape what uh, was a 67 to 64 game over Oklahoma. Even go back to 2021. And that was the last year for Lon Kruger. It was 63 59. They've been very close these past couple of years. And this OU team is much better than those past three Oklahoma teams have been. Uh, maybe not much better than the 2021 team. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that, but certainly than the last two teams, I would think for Oklahoma and with Kansas, is this your worst team of those last two? Probably, right? I mean, 2022, you won a national title, so you're taking that one. Uh, last year, I, I think I'm taking that one at this point. I mean, that was the third overall one seed. So remains to be seen. This one maybe has a higher ceiling, maybe because you have like 100 tickets in that you can get in the half court. I don't know. That's a discussion for another day. Nonetheless, uh, they've been very close to doing it. Does Kansas have more than three or four guys? I guess three and a half guys in this game becomes a storyline. You know, that's been kind of a theme here over the past couple of games for Kansas. And Hunter Dickinson, we know what he provides, but he had the foul trouble and didn't have a great game against UCF. Some of that was maybe him. Some of it was foul trouble. Some of it was the way UCF was playing the zone. Um, Kevin McCuller, you know, had a bunch of turnovers last game, but still overall, we know both Kevin and Hunter have been all American good so far this season. KJ has been excellent so far in his specific role and what he's asked to do. Uh, outside of that, it's been shaky, right? The bench has been shaky. You've gotten flashes here or there, maybe a good game here or there from certain players but not consistently at all. And, and even in the case of Dewan Harris, it's been a little bit inconsistent with either turnovers the last couple of games or some games where there hasn't been like the scoring impact, maybe hasn't been as good of a defensive player as he was last season when he was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. But there still have been some good Dewan games too, right? Like the Kentucky game uh, certainly comes to mind for me. So um, does Kansas have more than just three guys, three and a half guys? I, I think, you know, you need to start seeing that happening. And maybe one of those guys can be Johnny Furphy. We saw Furphy play really well off the bench against UCF. Uh, Marco Jackson ended up playing 22 minutes, zero points, didn't take a shot, uh, seemed a bit perplexed, flummoxed by the zone that was coming at him. And that's kind of been the thing with El Marco. He's such a good athlete, but we haven't always seen that because sometimes he's just processing. He's He's, he's still churning through. He's trying to figure out what to do as a young player. And with Furphy, maybe it's just a better fit in general. When you look at what this Kansas team has with those four returning vet starters, just finding a guy who can play better. Like on his own, I don't know. Johnny Furphy, I think, has a very high ceiling. So maybe I'll regret saying this. But I almost feel like Omarco Jackson has a better chance of being, I don't know, like a lottery pick or a – uh, future All-American at Kansas, you know, by the time they're both juniors. Then again, Furphy's a really good athlete and, and, and can shoot it from three. So maybe I, I would take this, but still, I feel like the, the potential is there for El Marco. When you're looking at what the role player needs, you know, can you shoot threes? Can you rebound? Can you do things without needing the ball in your hand? I think Furphy can do those. I do think El Marco's a better on-ball defender than Furphy is, but if Furphy can be a better or just as good, you know, team defender, then I think it makes up for some of it. So he's going to be starting in this game that Bill Self announced over El Marco Jackson. It's less to me about the starting, though, and it's more about, A, who finishes the game, and how many minutes does that be? Uh, does that end up being? Because El Marco played 22 last game. Furphy played 17, even though he played well. 
does Furphy start and he still plays 17 minutes and Marco plays 22 off the bench? Because at that point, it just doesn't matter really, right? Outside of maybe the mental game. Maybe the mental game of Furphy starting makes him play even better. Uh, maybe it's a confidence boost. Maybe the idea of, you know, if you have a Marco who has been maybe processing a little too much, but we know the athleticism is there, but he hasn't always used it in game. Maybe coming off the bench allows him to play uh, with a freer mind and allows him to use that athleticism more. And, you know, it's almost like with El Marco, you're better off. Like with Dewan, you want him to rein it in right now, right? You have so many turnovers. With El Marco, you almost want him to be the opposite, be the bowl in the China shop and use what you're good at, even if it does lead to some things there. Now, obviously, KU's had their recent turnover issues, but uh, yeah, anyway. Furphy starting. We'll see how that impacts it. Does he end up playing 25 minutes? Does Amarco play 15? I'll be very interested to see. As far as the Oklahoma scouting report, 13-2 and two on the season. They're ranked ninth in the AP poll, 18th on the metric composite rankings, which shout out to Andrew Weatherman who puts those together uh, with a bunch of the different metric sites, the net rankings, the you know Ken Palm, Bartorvik, Sagarin, a, a lot of those put together. And uh, they, coming into the week, were 18th. KU was 16th for what it's worth in that. They have four top top 80 non-con wins. They beat Iowa State, who's uh, that's a really good win, by eight points. That was in their Big 12 opener. And so far, their only losses were by 12 in a semi-away game against North Carolina and a nine-point loss earlier this week against TCU. On the year, top 50 offense, top 15 defense. They're middle of the pack in tempo, but they have gone faster on offense. They've actually been a good transition team, but when they don't play transition – they're fine running a bit slower if they have to. And they play good transition defense for the most part. What they do well, overall two-point offense, good. Solid shooting, uh, kind of above average volume and above average efficiency. So you put those together, that's solid from three. Really good on free throws in addition to the two-point shooting, which uh, leads to a good effective field goal percentage offense. Their effective field goal percentage defense is really good. They're top 10 there, thanks to a top 10 three-point defense, which um, maybe there's a little bit of good luck that has gone their way, but also there are some things that you can do to try to mitigate that, you know, more contested shots going to lead to a lower number. If you take away shots, uh, they're also top 45 from two, they don't foul much and they've cleaned up the boards at both ends of the floor. What they have not done well, they turn it over a pretty good amount on offense. They don't force a ton of turnovers the other way, and they do get their shots blocked at a high rate, despite the fact that they are good inside the paint. As far as the personnel, Javion McCullough, he is a Sienna transfer. He's the lead guard for them, giving them a team best 15 points per game on 45, 40, 92 splits. Really good shooter, efficient offensive player, four assists per game. Uh, they'll play Latrey Darthard a lot at the two. He's a Utah Valley transfer, career 37% from three. He's only at about 32% from, from three this year on good volume for OU, but that tells me that he's going to have some games that are going to boost that percentage because his career, which has been a long career, is certainly higher than that. Uh, Otega Owe plays the three for them. He's 6'5", 215-pound bowling ball. He's been awesome, over 14 points per game nearly four rebounds and two steals. He's shooting 61% from the floor and 14 of 21 on three. So he's basically, you know, kind of Dewan Harris. He only takes selective threes, but he's hit him at a high clip and he's been unbelievable driving to the rim. And he's been a great defender this year for my money, an all-conference player so far. And, and Mikolo, I, I think, could uh, certainly have that too. Uh, you'll see a ton of Milos Uzan. He'll play the one, two, and three wherever they need him. He's 6'4". He hasn't shot it great, but he's a good passer, good defender, solid all-around player. They'll use Jalen Moore at the four. He's 6'7", 222. He's been efficient, kind of a low-volume shooter, not somebody who's going to jack up a ton of shots, but uh, shoots it pretty well from, from every area, gets nine and five a game. He's backed up by a good rebounder in Rivaldo Soares, who he hasn't shot it well so far. And then at the five is a combo of John Hugley, who is an efficient scoring 
six foot 10, 275 pound bruiser who's got really good touch on jump shots, shoots it from three, shoots it over 80% at the foul line, good touch on the inside. And then they'll rotate him with a six foot 10, 235 pound Sam Godwin, who notches about eight and six a game. He's the better defender and more athletic of the two. So taking all that, let's get to our matchups of the game, players to watch, Hawks to soar on this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. We are brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite sporting event shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all your sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're going to be having. You know, you can use Game Time to get last-minute tickets on the Chiefs game against the Dolphins if you want to weather the cold. Right now on Game Time, they have tickets going for $34. $33, actually, I'm seeing now for the Chiefs game. You want to get tickets to the KU-Oklahoma game, you can get tickets for that $48 here's $50 on game time and on top of that you get to see the pictures of your seats so you know exactly what you're getting into before you buy them snag the tickets without the stress of game time download the game time app create an account and use code locked on college for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code locked on college for $20 off download the game time app today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Get to our matchups of the game, players to watch on this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. Again, apologies for not having a UCF recap or anything, but I had a baby born into the world, so been dealing with that. Like I said, we'll try to be as consistent with these as we can. I'll try to get an OU recap out there, but uh, again, uh, there are other things going on right now in my life. Okay, uh, precursor to all these matchups, are we going to see Oklahoma play any zone? We saw UCF give Kansas all sorts of fits with that zone. And it makes me wonder if we're going to see a lot more Big 12 teams throw out a zone, even if it's not for the entirety of the game, at different points in the game, because it really frustrated KU. Now, not every team has the personnel that UCF has, right? When you look at what UCF does with their zone, they've got elite shot blockers on the inside. I mean, collectively, their three centers average over four blocks per game, one of the best block rate teams in the country. They're one of the best steal rate teams in the country. They've got athletes all around. So it's a combo of a good zone with really good players to run that scheme specifically. I mean, they they – we're one of the best defenses in the country coming into that game. Their offense, not so much, but uh, KU looked perplexed by it. So are we going to see OU run into that? But number one here, valuing the basketball. KU has the worst conference-only turnover rate in the Big 12 so far this year. Probably not a surprise, right? You saw the TCU game. You saw the UCF game. Oklahoma has been near top 100 in turnover rate defense this season. So that would tell you they've been pretty good at it, you know, above average at it. But in their two Big 12-only games, it's only 13th of the 14 teams in turnover defense. That number is not translated into Big 12 games. And over their last five games, so the last their first two Big 12 games and their last three non-con games, they're only in the eighth percentile, meaning 92% of college basketball is better than them in steal rate over their last five games. They're not really forcing them. So far, here are KU's four worst turnover rate games on offense this season. Uh, this list that I'm about to read will go from worst to fourth worst. Central Florida, Marquette, TCU, Missouri. That's two losses, UCF and Marquette, which were your two worst, one near loss, TCU, and one win that was, you know, maybe closer than expected, right? Missouri covered the spread. They were up early in the game. They came back late. So, I mean, there's a very clear correlation. And that's probably for a lot of teams, right? Hold on to the basketball, you're going to do better. But for KU, when they're not holding on to the basketball, it's not the difference between, you know, maybe two extra turnovers than the average. It's been explosively high numbers. Furthermore, though, Oklahoma's in the 94th percentile in points off of turnovers per game, and their two lowest defensive turnover rate games, both losses. You hold on to the ball, you win the game. You don't, 
you probably won't, honestly. Uh, number two on matchups. Can Kansas and Oklahoma win without hammering their offensive shooting strengths? Kansas is in the 95th percentile in field goal attempt percentage at the rim and in the 90th percentile in field goal percentage on corner or field goal attempt percentage on corner threes, meaning the total number of field goal attempts they take, what percentage of them is coming from these areas. So therefore, KU is taking a lot of shots at the rim and a lot of shots in the corner. There's the bare bones way of putting that, which typically tends to be like a pretty strong analytic strategy when you're looking at it that way. Uh, problem is Oklahoma defends well in that area. The two shots, shot types that they've prevented the other team from taking the most by, you know, best percentile for them are at the rim and corner threes. They they try to prevent you from taking those because at the rim are obviously the highest percentage shots. Corner threes are usually the, the best percentage of three-point shots. Maybe KU's strength is better than OU's strength here that, you know, even though they're good at taking this away and you're good at doing it, maybe yours is just better and it doesn't matter. But if it does mean that KU gets less of their bread and butter, do they step up from other areas? Can you be adjustable? Because right now it feels like KU hasn't been overly diverse. When teams take away, you know, like Bill Belichick made a living off that with the New England Patriots. He would make you work with your left hand. He would double team your, your number one target and say, can you beat us with your other guys, right? It feels like KU hasn't been great at playing with their left hand. When teams take away their inside scoring, when you know teams uh, take away the, like one thing or, or this or that, it's been a struggle for them. And Kansas is shooting just 37% on mid-range twos. They're only at 38% on in the paint, but not at the rim twos. Uh, they have shot 36.5% on the above-the-break threes to their credit, but you know they, they haven't been ultra-versatile in how they're scoring. But everything I just said about the Kansas offense versus the Oklahoma defense and where they're getting shots and where they like to get shots and where you know, oh, you prevent shots and, and all that sort of stuff is in the reverse, too. Oklahoma on offense, they take a lot of shots at the rim. They take a lot of shots from corner uh, threes. KU prevents shots at the rim. They prevent shots uh, in the corner from three. The Sooners are even worse than KU is for mid-range. Oklahoma's only shooting 28% on mid-range shots, but they have shot 38.5% on above-the-break threes, so maybe that ends up being the difference in this one. So which team can, I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of strength on strength in terms of what you like to do, what types of shots you like to get, and what types of shots you like to prevent the other team from getting. What does that mean for this game? Number three is defending back cuts and open lanes. Porter Mosier always runs a lot of four-out, five-out, uh, four-out motion offense with lots of spacing. They have cutters coming in from everywhere. They'll give it to the big man and let him initiate in the high post. Um, they're just a well-spaced team, and, and it's well-executed. Since Mosier has been at Oklahoma, which 2022, so this is third year there, here's how they've shot from two in their four previous games against Kansas. 57.1%, 56%. 47.5% and 37.5%. So mixed bag of either really good, 56, 57%, or not so good, 47.5% or really bad, 37.5%. But overall, Oklahoma is 10th in the nation at 58.7% on two-point shots, in large part due to the aware offense with good passers, everybody knows where they're going, knows where to cut, they get open driving lanes, they space the floor, they have you know stretch fives that open the court a little bit, um, back cuts, you know, and that's something when you look at Johnny Furphy as a young freshman in there, uh, El Marco, I think, has been the better defender overall than, than Furphy. Now, El Marco does get beat a fair amount off the ball, but much better on the ball. Can Furphy 
avoid getting beat too much off the ball to, to make his impact on the offensive end. And, and like when you look at their open driving lanes, Otega Owe really takes advantage. That's why he's shooting 61% from the floor because he knows how to take advantage of the open driving lanes and the open spacing, and he's a good driver to the rim. Uh, but Mosier at OU's record when they shoot different percentages from two is uh, pretty telling to, to this, right? So over this is his third year at Oklahoma. When they've shot 50% or lower – from three-point range so far, uh, six and 14. When they have shot, and these are in his first two years, 50.1% to 59.9%, they're 14 and 12, and 60% or higher, they're 14 and seven. That was coming into this year. So uh, can you limit the amount of open kind of twos you give up on just getting beat like off the ball or, or straight line drives to the rim? Player watch here is Hunter Dickinson against the Oklahoma's two centers. When it's Hunter Dickinson versus John Hugley, who plays about 18 minutes a game, you have a couple of guys who can pick and pop. Hugley's shooting, you know, high 30% from three, shooting over 80% at the free throw line. Hugley does struggle on defense a little bit, but when he's in the post, he's 275 pounds, so it's tough to just back him down. A lot of his struggles on defense are more struggles in space, meaning that, you know, KU is going to probably attack him in the pick and roll. But does that mean Hunter Dickinson can have a big game in the pick and roll? Does that mean KJ Adams can? Uh, does that mean that Hunter Dickinson can take advantage of pick and pop? But either way, it's a, a good matchup with two very skilled centers who have really good touch on the offensive end and sometimes struggle in space a little bit more defensively. And then when it's Hunter Dickinson versus Godwin, you are kind of more protecting rim runs, paint shots, and that is KU's best offensive player versus Oklahoma's best inside defensive player and one of their best overall defensive players with Godwin. So that becomes just an interesting matchup where it's kind of strength on strength when KU's on the offensive side of the ball. Let's finish up with our Hawks, the soar players we think can stick out for KU in this one with this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. We are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet. You can bet on a live same-game parlay. So if it's halftime of a game and you know you think somebody's underperforming, you think they're going to have a better second half or whatever it is, somebody's cooking someone, boom. All you got to do is use the live same-game parlay. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Finishing things up with Hawks to soar for KU. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned that, yeah, if Hugley's in there, maybe they'll try to pick and roll him. Maybe they'll try to get KJ switched on to Hugley because KJ is so good in, in the pick and roll that maybe he can have a big game. Also, you know, KJ just always lights up the crowd at home. So he's certainly one to watch. But I'm going to actually go Dewan Harris here for my Hawk to soar. So Dewan has, I, I guess, not had as good of a season, would be one way to put it, as he did last year, in my opinion. Last year, he was, I think, Big 12 honorable mention. And I thought you could have made a real case. He should have been at least on like the third team, all big 12 overall. I thought he was a good player for you. He excelled. He was one of the best role players in the entire country. Um, he was a big 12 defensive player of the year. And so far this year, the steel numbers are down. The defensive impact is down a little bit. You know, you look at on off numbers from CBB analytics and Dewan Harris's net rating on off is plus 1.4. That is one, two, three, four, sixth on the team, right? Johnny Furphy's plus 1.7. Amarco's plus five. Kevin's plus 11 and a half. KJ's plus 12. Hunter's plus 20.3. So the impact hasn't been as good this year for Dewan. 
Um, and there's all that recent doubt. And I think, you know, for good reason to have it, that he hasn't been as aggressive scoring this year. He's had more turnovers this year than we're accustomed to still at the end of the day, you look at the assist to turnover ratio. It's still better than a lot of other players. And I still think it's in him to be what he was last year defensively. I I wonder how much of it has to do with the role he is being asked to do on the offensive end and how many minutes he's being asked to play. Um, the lack of depth and the lack of other point guards, right? Like when El Marco's out there, he's not really given the keys to run the offense. He's more out there as a secondary guard. Uh, so much so that at the beginning of the year, Bill Self was saying Kevin McCuller is our backup point guard. So does that make it harder to exert energy when you're playing 38 minutes a game and you're the only true really point guard on the floor on the defensive end? I don't know. Maybe that's a good reason. But all of the, all that doubt, Dewan Harris over the course of his career, credit to him, when there has been doubt, that is when he has performed best. And I think there's some doubt after the UCF game, after the last two games where, yes, not every turnover is him, right? Kevin McCuller had a bunch of turnovers and, you know, everybody had a bunch of turnovers for KU the last two games. But when you're the, the veteran point guard, the fifth year guard on the team, it's not just that you want his turnover numbers to go down, but he's supposed to be the steadying force, the calming force. And I think in this game, he's got a great opportunity to do that, bounce back. Uh, also, Javion McCollum, who's a really good offensive player for them, has not been a good defender. So maybe that allows Dewan, especially those pick and pops when Hugley's on the court, Dewan's going to be in control of the ball. I think this is going to be a good bounce back game for Dewan Harris, and he's going to get back to it. And boy, does Kansas need him to. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. You can find our show anywhere you get your podcasts, including on our YouTube page where you can like and subscribe to the show. Try to be back for KUOU recap. Still need to do a uh, KU football uh, catch up, I guess, with some of the decisions, a couple transfers committing in, Devin Neal officially returning back. So stick around for all of that when I get a chance here with LOJ. See you next time.